This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in our post-Oscar season with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. Our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. Our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And joining us once again, because it is that time of year, (laughs) our friend and Oscar soothsayer, Joe Reed. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. Um, it is time for our 2021 Oscar predictions, which finally last year, (laughs) yeah, we're all completely sick of 2019 movies, even though Oscar season was so short. Um, last year we did our 2020 Oscar predictions episode really late. Like the Oscars were later and we waited a while after it. Mm. Um, so it now feels really early to be getting into it, um, which will probably make our predictions even more off base than usual, (laughs) which is really saying something. Bring on the chaos. Um, yeah, so we're going to do our predictions for the year to come. But first, we also have to revisit um, our discussions of the past and how right or how wrong we got it. And uh, once again, uh, our producer, Brett, has pulled up audio clips from last year's episode. But I did want to start, uh, as I did last year, with the movies that we did not mention once on the entire episode. <laughs> um, for the second year in a row, we did not mention the Best Picture winner. We did not talk about parasites. I don't blame us too much. Yeah. It- well, it, no one had seen that movie by then because that... Right? Because it didn't premiere yeah, until Cannes. It, it didn't premiere until Yeah. And like, based on Bong Jun Ho's past track record, why in the world would you assume that his movie would be a Best Picture frontrunner? Right. Well, Okja had just missed the cut the last time. Yeah. So <laughs> we should have. The super, the super pig for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> right. Um, the other handful of titles I was more surprised we didn't mention. We didn't talk about The Farewell at all. Um, maybe we were underestimating a little bit how much its Sundance success was going to translate to the rest of the season. We didn't mention Joker. Um, so I don't know when we really start taking that one seriously, because I feel like from the moment people saw the trailers, it was like, oh, boy, best actor. But um, at that point, we had no idea. I feel like it's when they picked it to premiere at Venice. Yeah. Mm. Oh, That's yeah. sort of what I was thinking, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then a few other things that, you know, you win some, you lose some. We didn't talk about Ford versus Ferrari, Two Popes, Richard Jewell or Hustlers. Um, 
So. Richard Jewell wasn't filmed until October, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> right. right. It wasn't even an idea until uh, well after yeah. they recorded. Yeah. What did we What did we say about 1917? Like, well, where are we with that? My friend, would you like to hear some audio clips of what we said last year? <laughs> I, I die to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brett. Let's get it started. Uh, well, maybe I'm riding the hot hand, and I did such a, a I did well for myself in talking about. Can You Ever Forgive Me last year, which was directed by Mariel Heller. She is back this year with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is a biopic of Fred Rogers, who I know Oscar, you know, bypassed the documentary uh, about Mr. Rogers this past year. But, and I I also have gone broke before on predicting the Oscars (laughs) to fall in love with Tom Hanks the way they did in the 90s. But this just seems perfect. Well, I got one. <laughs> I was so nervous until the very end that they wouldn't go for Tom Hanks because of what we were talking about there. I remember Captain Phillips. I still have those scars. Yeah. like. <laughs> but now that they seated him in the front row, I feel like right. this will be a thing now. Yeah. You I can... think they remembered that like that you need to have that sort of like a little bit of an anchor right there in the yeah. front row. And like Nicholson doesn't come anymore. So like, yeah, it's time for He's Hanks. He's the new Nicholson sort of. Yeah. yeah. Do we have any final thoughts on why uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood didn't take off quite as much as we wanted it to? It was my best picture prediction, which, again, I'm never right. Um, but it did that, – that one nomination for Hanks felt like a little for how much people love that movie. I think that movie really suffered from its release date. You know, I think that they dropped it about a week before Thanksgiving, which was probably – good timing, but it was such a crowded year. And then Knives Out came and sort of swept past as being like the kind of, you know, go-to choice for people who were stuck with their family over the holidays. And um, yeah, I just think it kind of got lost. I mean, I spoke to a lot of people toward the end of December who, you know, pay attention to this stuff, not as closely as we do, but closely. And they were like, yeah, when does the Mr. Rogers movie come out? And I was like, it's been out for six weeks. Yeah, look behind you. Know? <laughs> so I think it really suffered from that. I, I I also think coming so closely after the documentary, which was so popular, like I actually don't know many people who saw the Hanks film. Um, and I think it was just because people felt like they really celebrated Fred Rogers so recently. Right. Mm. There was also some weird word of mouth on it, like, oh, it's a bait and switch. It's not really a movie about Mr. Rogers. It's a movie about Tom Junod. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't need to watch that. Yeah, I think the appeal of it, is a little unexpected, and to me, in a good way. It's not the movie that you think you're going to get, and I think that can be a double-edged sword where some people like to see a movie that they didn't think they were going to get because it's, you know, it's not, to me, it wasn't the sort of, like, it wasn't the kind of sentimental movie that you were sort of expecting. And then other people, they wanted, you know, they wanted the documentary but acted out, essentially. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> they didn't mm-hmm. get that. Yeah. All right, let's move on to another movie that turned out to be about the real people that we thought it was going to be about. You know, I'm always burned by going with my heart, <laughs> so I'm not going to go with my heart right now. And I want to know what with... your heart is, though. Uh, okay, I could I could do both. We can come back to that, but we can start with my head, which says fair and balanced. Um, ah, yes the 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 film about uh, with Charlize Theron as Megyn Kelly and Nicole Kidman as Gretchen Carlson. There we go. It didn't turn out to be the like eighth best picture nomination, which I would have bet on at that point last year. Well, and it didn't turn out to be fair and balanced. Yeah, either. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about bombshell. Yeah, Joanna, we can't count that for you. I'm so sorry. That has to go to the last <laughs> no! <call. laughs> My points. <laughs> 
Uh, we also talked about it in the context of other whistleblower movies that uh, Richard had pointed out uh, with the uh, the laundromat, which man, we had our eye on that one. <laughs> wow. and, and Dark Waters. It was. Uh, it should have been a year for whistleblowers, but it just wasn't. Yeah. Okay, bombshell. That was there. Um, another biopic, please, Brett. <laughs> um, I know that this is, I, I don't think this is going to get a Best Picture nomination or anything, but I have a laser eye on Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that she Love. is absolutely poised for a comeback role. Yep. I think, you know, we, she was at the Oscar party, the VF Oscar party. She looks she fantastic. Looks great. Like, um, great. I just think it's it's her time. That's really interesting casting. Yeah. It's about, you know, right at the, it's the, the story is right at the end of Garland's life when she went to London to perform a series of concerts. We've seen over the years that there is a lot the Academy is willing to forgive about a kind of poorly-ish made um, biopic movie if the central performance, a la Michelle Williams Absolutely. in My Week with Marilyn, yeah. is I don't even know if I would argue that's a good performance, but an interesting no, one. Right. You know, something to it's kind of It's the genre they are most forgiving towards. Exactly. Damn, Richard, your contract <laughs> is renewed. <laughs> <laughs> I have currently on my computer monitor, I have a post that says January 28th, Richard shoots his shot at Anthony Hopkins winning the Oscar, uh, which is based on an earlier conversation we had this year. I'm keeping it up on my computer until Oscar season, but like, man, Richard, what if you call it two years in a row, super early? That would be so. I'd be so pleased for you and jealous and and, and burning <laughs> burning with envy as well. I I, I feel like I sh- I forgot to mention when I talked about the father from Sundance that Anthony Hopkins is playing Liza Minnelli in that movie. So it's, it's <laughs> yes. continuing. The story, so the, the um, dynasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the casting um, we were all clamoring for. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for for that prediction, but I mean, I feel like I was by no means alone in that. I think that like the minute that trailer came out, or even like the first glimpse, it was like, if nothing else, she's a strong, strong contender. And I have two other strong feelings about this coming year uh, in a similar way that I will we we can get to um, when when it's time. Ooh, Ooh good good teaser. Um, okay, let's get uh, get to the next prediction on the list. I want to make sure we hit any other 800-pound gorillas that are kind of looking at us that seem like inevitable things that we'll either we'll be talking about uh, regardless of whether or not they actually get nominations. The obvious one to me, and because the poster just came out, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, talking about movies that will be problematic and drive everyone crazy on Twitter, uh, we're never going to stop talking about this, right? True. Although, I don't think any of us saw Bruce Lee and his daughter as being the, like, main thing that we talked about. You know, I rewatched the movie and was kind of surprised at how little we talked about some of the problematic shit in it, to be perfectly honest. Our attentions were elsewhere in terms of of controversy. I think that movie was far less of of an annoying sort of lightning rod during the season than I kind of thought it would be. And I was kind of ready for, I think I was ready for the fight about the final scene and about how violent and sort of off-putting that final scene is and how, you know, whether it should or shouldn't be. And we don't have to have that argument right now. But, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, I think you're right, Mike. I think I was was surprised by that movie just sort of, like, kind of slid down the middle (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. And the second time through, you know what really stood out to me was the feet. Just everyone's dirty feet. Oh, yeah. oh that was. I, a, I somehow I didn't that. really notice it the first time through. The second time through, I was like, Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> I think that up. felt intentional. That felt no, it's like definitely Tarantino intentional. Yeah. lampshading his reputation. Um, the uh, yeah, I think Tarantino can thank the Joker for sort yes. of drawing drawing yes. the fire away. Sure. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right yeah. around the time once upon a time in Hollywood opened, I think Joker got added to the Venice lineup, and we were like, oh boy. Uh, yeah, and it went from there. 
Uh, and also, we mentioned a lot in this conversation the poster that was released that I don't remember there being like a controversy about this poster being so bad. It's just that shot of Pitt and DiCaprio like standing in front of the Hollywood Hills. Anyway, that was a right. whole thing that we were upset about last March. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, wait. Now we got another um, right on the money actor prediction. I wanted to bring up one thing, and it's more of a performance than the movie, but, like, I wanted to get out ahead of it just in case it does happen. But Pedro Almodovar's movie Pain and Glory is a sort of reunion for him with Antonio Banderas. And Antonio Banderas plays a film director in it who sort of, like, is looking back on his life and career. Sort of, it seems not unlike Nine, but, like— Or Eight and a Half, which— Right, yes, exactly. Um, Well, that part wasn't great, but yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I was very happy that nomination turned out, uh, and not just because it would have meant that I was right on uh, on this podcast, but also <laughs> it was a great performance, and it was, you know, it was time for Antonio Banderas to have his first Oscar nomination. Yeah, it's such a feel-good story to have him in, in the mix. It, it, I think everyone wound up being exactly as excited to nominate him as you predicted back then. All right, next one. this thing. Um, can I just also, cl- when I groaned about Little Women, it's not because I don't like Greta Gerwig or I'm not interested in see that movie. It's just that, like, do we need another Little Women? Isn't the Gillian Armstrong one from 1994 kind of perfect with yeah. Susan Sarandon? Um, you know, like, I don't know if we need Meryl Streep is on March, though. Um, but yeah. I think this could be, I think that could be a movie that is a sort of fun, good movie to see at Christmas that maybe nevertheless doesn't become an Oscar player, and that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, well, Richard, you beat me on that one. <laughs> and thank God. I, I don't know. Did we? Did any? I don't know what what that. That was two men talking about not needing little women. Um, <laughs> apologies. Yeah. Little yeah. women is um, a little little men problem. Is yeah, what I've been a little told. gold men yeah. problem. Cut to me <laughs> weeping at that movie the first time and second time that I saw it. Well, like. My, yeah. Not to spoil our own podcast, but my memory is that Richard picked Little Women as his best picture choice, he, didn't he? He yeah. did. He did. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was interesting, when we talked about Little Women, and, and basically throughout this entire episode, we didn't really talk about female directors at all. We didn't talk about Little right. Women as being a factor of like counterbalancing the maleness of the Oscars, um, which wound up being such a story around it. And I wonder, um, I, I want to talk about that going into this next year. Um, yeah, we just like kind of considered it along with everything else, which is interesting given where it went. All right, let's move into a broader conversation about our friends Netflix. I wanted to start with uh, The King by David Michaud, which is the reason Timothy Chalamet had that terrible haircut through all the festivals last fall. Yes. Uh, It's uh, him and Ben Mendelsohn, Thomas and McKenzie of Leave No Traces in it, which is really exciting. Uh, And I feel like in a way that like Outlaw King felt like second or third tier Netflix this year because Roma was such a big thing. And even after Roma, there was like Buster Scruggs felt like the B-team movie for Netflix. And then there was everything else, including stuff like Private Life, which I would have loved to have gotten more attention than it did. Yeah. Um, I feel like The King sitting on the bench behind The Irishman, which is the Scorsese movie for Netflix. They also have The Laundromat, which is Soderbergh doing the Panama Papers. Um, And they also have The Last Thing He Wanted, which is Dee Reese's movie after Mudbound, which is Anne Hathaway and Ben Affleck, I want to say. So, like, The King, I feel like, has a lot of internal competition within Netflix to sort of, like, become a movie that they're going to push for Oscar, even if it's good. Yeah, I look forward to six months from now being furious on behalf of something like Private Life not getting promoted by Netflix enough. It's, well, that, it's inevitable. That'll be the Noah Baumbach movie, maybe. That, uh, sure. In Noah Baumbach fashion, he won't give a title to until like the week before it opens. <laughs> 
Good, good job, Joe, on the <laughs> story title drama. Um, I just wanted to use this as a way to like look back at how all this Netflix stuff panned out. I think The King wound up not being a factor the way that we thought. But, you know, Netflix did kind of have the like A-team, B-team issue again this year, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Marriage Story did pretty well for being B team, actually, just at least in terms of like getting nominations. Maybe it was like a like a minus team, basically. right? Maybe if it was the their top priority, maybe you know Driver could have had a shot. Although, I mean, probably not. That's wishful thinking. Joaquin Phoenix had that thing wrapped up, but um, you definitely had the sense this year that it was like Irishman, Marriage Story, and then everything else basically got forgotten. Like yeah, just, Justice for Dolomite. <laughs> I think their A-team ended up being when they saw all the movies, um, Irishman oh, yeah. and Marriage Story. Yeah. And and then I think they were caught by surprise, as I was, by how people in the world didn't like Marriage Story as much as, you know, they did and as much as some early screeners like sure, myself Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Well, when you look at Netflix's um, Oscar Hall, Marriage Story won a big Oscar and Irishman didn't. So maybe it wound up being the A-team after I know. While we're patting ourselves on the back, I did. Uh, I tweeted the day of the Oscar nominations. I said Irishman's going to lose every one of its ten nominations, and everybody thought I was crazy. So wow. I'll take that. Wow, for whatever it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's move on to the next one. You know, uh, a Fox Searchlight movie that's kind of a black comedy did well the last year in The Favorite. So I have my eye on Taika Waititi's movie Jojo Rabbit, uh, yeah. which is set during, you know, the Holocaust, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, has Thomas and Mackenzie. You mentioned Katie. Hey. Uh, Hansen, Sam Rockwell. Taika Waititi himself is in it. I think that after Thor Ragnarok, people are like, this is his movie, could be his movie to sort of break into a sort of new echelon out of the sort of quirky, like, you know, film nerd you know, fan yeah. um, into something more, into something broader. Good job, Richard. Yeah, yeah, I wish I liked the movie, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did win an Oscar, so good for me. I I, <laughs> I guess I, I mean, again, I feel like these are opinions that, that enough people had that even, you know, this Sometimes time last being year, right and being happy are too much to ask for. Usually it's <laughs> right. one or the other. <laughs> Yeah. And we'll give credit to Joanna, who said maybe it gets a screenwriting thing for this movie specifically. So yeah, not there you go. The yeah. most dead on. All right, Joanna, now we're getting to that question you had at the beginning of all of this. Ah, uh, Sam Mendes, 1917. Yeah. Like, why not, right? A war, a war movie? This used to be our bread and butter Oscars. Uh, but it's got George McKay, who I really love, who's great and Captain Fantastic and a number of other things. And Dean Charles Chapman, uh, who maybe is the only actor in all of history to ever die twice on Game of Thrones. Dear sweet so, Tommen. Wait, wait yeah. which one? Is, oh, he's Tommen. Tommen, and before that, he was a random Lannister. Facts about Game of Thrones. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is know, Sam Mendy's first post-Bond movie. Yeah, he's he's out of the Bond uh, jail. Not that, not that you know, it's deeply unpleasant. But, you know, he's stuck in a franchise for a while. So here he is. He's back. And Those golden handcuffs of the Bond series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wonder about this, though. Will, will, it, how, will it be greeted as like, oh, so Nolan had to go into Dunkirk, and now you have this? <laughs> right, okay. right, right, like, right. Sure thing, Sam. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, I mean, I know they're about very different wars. Well, not very different, but like different wars. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, I mean, Joanna, you're right to point that out. I mean, that's a big movie that's coming out this year. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think that we could be here and all of us fully expected to be talking about 1917 as the best picture winner? And now it's just a footnote. 
Yeah, yeah. It still matters. It came close. It came very close. And now I know how to pronounce George Mackay's name. (laughs) (laughs) We've learned so much since last year. Hey, you knew who he was at the beginning of the year. That's more than most can say. Uh, Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so now we're getting into the point of last year's episode where we started making our best picture predictions. So uh, we'll have Joanna's. Even though there's, we know nothing about it, and uh, history has not, Oscar has not looked kindly on this filmmaker. Ryan Johnson knives out. I don't know. I'm just why gonna not? Put that it seems out there. fun. It seems like it's going to be, yeah. if nothing else, a really fun movie. We were all right. What a fun movie! It's, it's the most right I was at the, the during that entire podcast. That's such a fun. movie. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I remembered this. I remembered that I picked Knives Out for Best Picture, and the only reason I picked it, no offense to Ryan, is because Richard had already picked Little Women, and that was my choice, and so I had to scramble. <laughs> um, so I picked Knives Out, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to be so embarrassed by that pick. And then when it was like started to get like screenplay stuff, I was like, well, at least it won't be nominated, and I won't be as embarrassed. So <laughs> Knives Out, it was nominated. I think Yay. you were the first person I texted after seeing it at TIFF at that big uh, raucous premiere that Mike and I sat together for, and I was very excited for you and for you know the filmmakers but for you that it was so good that that's my that's my favorite kind of text is katie at tiff telling me the movies that i'm gonna love i'm still <laughs> waiting to see david copperfield i'm really excited for <laughs> You're gonna love it, it is good <laughs> that's um, my yeah, best picture pick for 2020 hey. <laughs> um i didn't clip everybody's best picture predictions because it was a lot of stuff we talked about as well um I, t- I picked beautiful day in the neighborhood joe picked the irishman mike you weren't on the episode so i think you got away with not having to make a prediction <laughs> thank god um, <laughs> but then i then i did jump into richard's prediction which is little women but also with a twist actually i was going to predict um parasite oh wow that was my prediction <laughs> had you only been there guys. yeah if i only been there we would <laughs> what's this sealed envelope i find in front of me oh my god <laughs> So I could say, and I'm cheating, but like Little Women will be my official one. But um, in in the spirit of, of feeling kind of despondent about <laughs> um, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Rocket Man. Uh, yeah. I was wondering if we were going to get to Rocket Man. I Rocket like Man. Rocket Man. To me, looks good. I don't know if that's good. foolish. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited yeah. about Rocket Man in a way I did not feel about Bohemian Rhapsody, but I don't know if that's uh, foolish. I don't know if that was our first mention of Rocket Man on this podcast, but I wanted to just throw it back. To where it all began. Yeah. <laughs> there was a world where you could have imagined that happening. It won an Oscar, you know? Rocket Man didn't do, yep. do so bad. Taryn, Taryn has a Golden Globe now, so it's okay. We did it. Rocket Man has more Oscars than the Irishman does. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you got that going for you. You pick your Irishman, I pick my Rocket Man. That's right. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you guys want to say about last year's predictions versus reality before we move into 2021? What was your prediction, Katie? Oh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I went went with my trend of predicting real people or uh, famous actors playing real people. Although when we talked about Bombshell, Joanna, you mentioned it as the Katie Rich route. And I so could have done three in a row for the best makeup winners. And I missed my shot. (laughs) I know. And when we get into this year's movies, I'm trying really hard to find it. And I'm having a tough time. My problem looking at Joe's spreadsheet for this year's movies is I'm afraid they're going to have to cancel the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Too I, much and too many. I just, well, I just don't see anything that looks that anything. good. Oh, I see nothing that's going to make uh, make money and also But be, I'm, I'm be sure good. I'm totally wrong. So I'm excited to hear you guys explain which of these are good. Well, I feel like Joe has been the deepest in this in making this spreadsheet. I, I'm curious if you want to start with a particular movie or like a trend you've noticed in everything that's coming our way. Um... I feel like, I think sort of like jumping off of what Mike said, there are a couple 
blockbusters that I have high hopes for. And it's it's tough to say whether they're just going to be like moneymakers or they're going to have that kind of like, oh, also we like them that this much that we're going to you know try and throw some awards at. I'm thinking of Tenet, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve's remake of Dune, which is like, that's mostly me having very wishful thinking because I'm so psyched for Dune. Um, and then the In the Heights movie, which I've not talked to a single person who doesn't like thrill at the trailer every time that they see it in the theaters. And of course, that's a sample size of like my, my <laughs> friends. But still, like there's a way that I think if In the Heights does really well at the box office, that's a good story. That's a good sort of like success story for John Chu, for um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, for Anthony Ramos. Like there's a lot of angles to something like that where even if it's a June movie, like I don't know if it's a huge blockbuster, like wait and see. But what does that mean then for West Side Story, which, you know, right. one could argue is a similar kind of it's a New York City set musical uh, that was, you know, that was a Broadway hit. I mean, granted, you know, many decades apart, but like, you know, that's Steven Spielberg. And so I don't know. I think I think that like um, I think you're right, Joe, that In the Heights just seems to have a resoundingly positive kind of vibe about it right now. Um, but it's, you know, it's got to wait many, many months to kind of, or has to hold on to that that vibe right. for many months. Um, but in it order is guaranteed, to... yeah, it's guaranteed a Golden Globe nomination right now as we speak. So, like, that at least, <laughs> it'll be somewhere at the end of the year, which is, I think, important. Yeah. I mean, I know people but like think... Spielberg and he can do basically whatever he wants, but I feel like, I, I don't know, I was driving the other day, Shallow came on, and I was just like, they weren't going to give this thing any Oscars because they already saw three of these. And yeah. I feel like with West Side Story, it's just like, they already made a perfect movie about this. Yeah. Like it's, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's, I totally and know. And people what you still mean. watch mm-hmm. it. It's that good. Over the summer, um, they were filming scenes of West Side Story and the block outside of my window. So I got to just like lean out my window and watch them perform like I like to be in America. And That's cool. I remember texting Katie, and Katie, you were just like, is it different at all from <laughs> the original? And from what I, I mean, from my like far away perch, it didn't sound too different and it didn't look all that excessively modern. So I do wonder, and this is such a like small sample size that it's not even worth, you know, being a thing. But like if it is just sort of a pastiche of what the original one was, what is what is well, new? What yeah, is and let me just say, I'm saying it's perfect. I'm also a white male who's 44 years old. Like I think the things that are not perfect about it are not necessarily things Steven Spielberg is gonna fix. But I'm I'm, I'm ready well, to be proven wrong about that. I I also wonder with kind of to your point a little bit, Mike, with West Side Story is it or and yours too, Joanna, that there might be this weird resistance to like at all interrogating uh, Natalie Wood's legacy, you know, because it's her life ended so mysteriously and tragically. And like they I don't know, like, you know, like there's a kind of constant um, low level maybe online-ish or not online anger about like, why do we have to go back and meddle with all the, you know, the, those movies were made when they were made and they're, you know, they were good then and I just don't understand what we have to keep fixing things, you know? And I just I just wonder like if Natalie Wood's kind of legacy has something to do with that. Um, but I don't know. I'll be, I'm, I'm really curious to see it. Yeah. Uh, Cause if, I want to, if people you know. aren't eager to cancel Kirk Douglas at this point, they're right. probably not eager to cancel right. Natalie Wood. But yeah. wait until right. Renee Zellweger plays Natalie Wood in Natalie, and we will all <laughs> be so thrilled. 
Um, back to In the Heights for a second. I do think what we're talking about with West Side Story works in In the Heights' favor. It's an existing musical. It's you know it was Lin-Manuel Miranda's pre-Hamilton musical. It's it's pretty good. It doesn't have kind of the legendary status that West Side Story does, and it's got a bunch of actors of color and a director of color behind it. And I think it's after the year that we had where it like just barely missed another Oscar so white. I think you can't underestimate the value of just anything that is popular and that can bring diversity into the Oscars conversation because I think I think the voters themselves are looking for that at this point. Especially because John Chu, like, you know, is so hot off the heels of Crazy Rich Asians. Exactly. Which, like, people were talking about maybe getting a supporting actress nomination, possibly a, like, you know, eighth, ninth slot Best Picture nomination. It made a ton of money for a studio Mm -hmm. while also, you know, getting a lot of political sort of, you know, accolades in a way. Um, So, yeah, I think that that movie, with a Cracker Jack first trailer, which it already has, um, is very well situated. Yeah. If John Chu has another moneymaker that gets good reviews in the summertime, like there, I could. There's a drum beat that can be drummed. Like it could be the help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even with um, something like In the Heights, obviously won a bunch of Tonys. A lot of people really like it, but it is not as. A- I don't think people have as much ownership over it as, you know, West Side Story or even something like Hamilton. Like it wasn't that level of phenomenon. So I think people will be more open to whatever changes that they make to the film. They're not as precious about it. I'm really, really excited for this one for that reason. Um, So I'm so glad you started there, Joe. It'll be brand new for a lot of people in a way that like a Hamilton movie, when that does actually, you know, happen, which whatever, won't be. Like In the Heights will be brand new to probably anybody who isn't like plugged into Broadway. So that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to another summer movie you mentioned, Joe, Tenet, um, which it turns out will open a week. It'll, it'll open in July, which is kind of Christopher Nolan's slot. And, and then a week later comes the French Dispatch, the Wes Anderson movie. So what a what a great end of summer period that's going to be. Um, but anyway, Tenet, you know, if Dunkirk, Christopher War- Nolan's war movie couldn't win Best Picture, I sort of wonder if any Christopher Nolan movie can win Best Picture. But man, that was a good trailer. I'm excited about it. It just seems so much more genre-y than um, 1917. Not seems. Is. Than Dunkirk, you mean? I mean, sorry. <laughs> uh, than Dunkirk. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I was, I was thinking that as well. Um, I, I'm sure it'll get, like, a bunch of technical uh, noms, it, or it should, uh, if there's any justice. But I don't know if it'll be in the big, big conversation. Uh, but maybe Christopher Nolan just gets rubber stamped all the way through, uh, and those rules don't apply to him anymore. I don't know. But um, yeah, I was just wondering if the weird timey-wimeyness of it is going to put people off. We'll see. I'm excited for it. Oh, I'm sure there'll be several, like, unraveling the timeline of Tenet and what Tenet gets wrong about time travel. And oh, all the content sort of... industry is going to have a great time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I feel real. like those older Oscar <laughs> voters will really enjoy all that. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Very <laughs> seriously pick it all clickable. apart. Clickable. Highly love a what clickable leg. <laughs> I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. 
Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? What's the right amount of socializing for you? And how do you recharge? Maybe you thrive around people, or maybe you need more alone time. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com LittleGoldMen today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LittleGoldMen. All right. Uh, who else wants to throw out a, a big, obvious uh, title on the list? Well, I, I teased something earlier in the episode that I wanted to bring up. Um, uh, you know, you're looking at this list that, that Joe has compiled. Um, it's incredible how many Netflix movies there are. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it's kind of, like, overwhelming. Um, but the one that sticks out to me just because it has a, you know, kind of strong pedigree is Hillbilly Elegy. Um, which is, you know, an adaptation of a, is it a, ne- a novel or a memoir? I think it's um, a memoir. A memoir um, with, you know, kind of a star-studded cast. Two of the people in that cast are Amy Adams and Glenn Close. And they are both mm-hmm. actresses who, I think Glenn Close has seven nominations, Amy Adams has six, Have ne- neither both have famously never won. And what if they won lead for Adams supporting for Close in the same year. Wouldn't that be something? Well, and Diane Warren's doing the theme song, so it should be really <laughs> interesting. And Thomas Newman is just about to say Thomas Newman doing the score. Yeah, she's written the elegy. It's, yeah. Yeah, they've written the elegy. It's beautiful. If, if the nomination is Hillbilly Elegy from Hillbilly Elegy, oh my God. die of happiness. As performed by Jennifer Hudson yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I pulled up the Netflix film Twitter thread that they launched on January 3rd, like a, you know, classic Netflix flex, which is just the list of all of their titles. And, you know, some of them are To All the Boys 2 and Miss Americana and stuff like that that's already out. But there is a terrifying amount of Netflix titles. I mean, I think David Fincher's Mank is kind of one of the huge ones that you have to get into just as it, you know, it's the first David Fincher movie. And God, how long has it been? It's been a while. What was his last movie? Gone Girl? Yeah. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, ben Wheatley's Rebecca adaptation, I'm super excited about. It's got yes. Lily James and Army Hammer and the, you know, the Hitchcock adaptation, Hibbley Elegy. They've got a Spike Lee movie. Um, they've got The Boys in the Band from producer Ryan Murphy, who also directed the prom adaptation. Speaking of musicals, it's going to be um, yep. quite a year, the Golden Globes. Um, I don't know. Anything else Netflix wise? Like, it's they are once again, I think, a puzzle to solve for award season. They've got the new Clooney movie, which, like, I don't know how excited we should be about George Clooney-directed movies anymore. How many times do we need to sort of get burned by that? But <laughs> um, it's called Good Morning Midnight, and it stars Felicity Jones and David Oyelowo, and it's sort of oh, – sorry, I'm reading my uh, my own description that I copied from uh, IMDb. A scientist alone in the Arctic tries to make contact with a spacecraft returning to Earth, but it's labeled as a drama and not sci-fi, so it feels like it could be sort of – you know, character-based and contemplative and things like that. Who knows? I could be totally wrong. Is this, um, is a narrative of this year the Jennifer Lawrence uh, return? It's got to happen sometime, right? Yeah. Right. Like, she, she sort of did this whole, like, 
okay, you're sick of me. Great. I'm just going to peace out for a little bit. Sure. Like, cause she, she was saying for, I'm, I'm not saying anyone's sick of her. I'm just saying for years, she was saying everyone's going to get sick of me. Eventually it seemed like the, the worm kind of turned on her a little bit. Um, and then I think she was just sort of like, all right, I'll be in my X-Men movie that I'm contractually obliged to right. be in. And that, you know, but I'm just going to lay low. And then, you know, on your spreadsheet here, even though there's a lot of TBAs next to them, there's three Jennifer Lawrence projects. And I'm like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll see if, if we see something from her this year. But one of them being the, um, uh, an Adam McKay, uh, directed a uh, film called Don't Look Up for Netflix. So Which is not the Elizabeth Holmes movie. We have uh we've sleuthed out that that one does not seem to be coming yet. Oh, I want that one. I want that yeah, one really bad. Me too. She also has a, a movie from uh, Lila Neugebauer, um, who is a theater director who directed the Waverly Gallery um, in New York and is making her directorial debut and it's an A24 release, so that's pretty promising too. While we're on the subject of Netflix, um, I I wrote about this when I wrote about the sort of like weird movies coming to coming to theaters in 2020. Although in this case it's not theaters, it's Netflix. But the Antonio Campos movie, um, The Devil All the Time, which may not be an awards contender, but like the cast of young talent in this, where it's like Pattinson, Tom Holland, Riley Keough, Eliza Scanlon, Bill Skarsgård, Sebastian Stan, Mia Vesikowska, Haley Bennett, like. It's sort of your what it's basically it's like a Vanity Fair cover come to life. Really, it's just like, (laughs) you know, young Hollywood all in this um, all in this one movie. I think Netflix is insane. Like Netflix is amazing just in the sheer volume of what they are determined to sort of like bring to us. They're also giving like George C. Wolfe is directing um, Viola Davis and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is one of the August Wilson plays that is now coming to screen. Mm -hmm. So like. It's a, and how many awards has, has Viola Davis won for August Wilson? Things? Exactly, a lot. exactly. You know, yeah, several. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think also, Joe, the interesting thing about The Devil All the Time is the Antonio Campos factor. Yes. A couple of years ago, he directed uh, a movie called Christine. Or was that, was that, that was, which was? That was Christine. Which he directed was the documentary? Christine. Christine, okay. Yeah. About Christine Chubbick, who killed herself on air, played by Re- Rebecca Hall. A little kind of, you know, minor Sundance hit, but then didn't get much traction out in the real world, but Rebecca Hall was so good in it. So I want to see, and she, so I think she came close to maybe some awards buzz. So I'll be curious to see what this follow-up effort will be. And I, I don't know, like, I, I also feel that same way about um, a movie that I saw at Sundance uh, directed by Sean Durkin called The Nest, um, which features an incredible Carrie Coon performance. And I'm just not sure if that's going to be big enough to get the attention of like big awards bodies, but like, kind of definitely one we should keep an eye on. Yeah. What is the deal with the Sofia Coppola movie and Apple? Because it's... Is it going to be a theatrical release or is it going to be Apple Plus exclusive? Do we Are know? Are they going to try to do like a qualifying thing for it? Yeah. Like, I don't like know. they would have to, right? Yeah. It's, it, well, I, think, I think one of the sort of like interesting stories probably this year but like also going beyond is like how these other streaming platforms are going to handle trying to you know navigate if they want to navigate the oscars how they might try and do that sort of like can you take netflix's lead is it even possible like i I would assume that they'll take amazon's lead and not act like huge jerks to everybody (laughs) because they don't have an ideological right you know commitment to that sure yeah 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 Um, yeah. but i guess we'll see yeah yeah because i think also when you see you're seeing a, a lot of things now show up as like hbo max and also like another, uh, you know, distributor or something like that. So it's interesting. 
Yeah, I'm curious about what uh, Amazon is going to be doing. I imagine they're going to have some more titles to throw in right now, but they have um, another movie from Julia Hart who made uh, Fast Color that kind of got like famously mistreated by its studio. Um, they had another title that I was looking at. Oh, the Leo's Carex movie with Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. Another uh, musical, Scott. yeah. Yeah, yes. I mean, like, making Oscar predictions for that seems crazy, but it you does. never know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they'll have interesting titles, but I think we watched them kind of in real time this past year adjust to, you know, the ambitions that they've had versus what actually makes money. And I'm curious about how that um, helps them with awards campaign. Guys, I have to duck out, but before I go, I would just like to say that based on what I'm seeing here, I predict that the best picture is not on this list. Yeah. Ooh. Very so that yeah. will be my <laughs> that's my prediction you'll open a sealed envelope next year <laughs> <laughs> i have at some other time i can give you my reasons for every single one and why they why they can't possibly win all right yeah um, but thank you joe for putting <laughs> this together <laughs> honestly based on years past that is the best possible prediction you can make yeah a, there's a director that i wanted to bring attention to it's it's not clear whether or not both of his movies are coming out this year um, but his name is Reynaldo Marcus Green. He had a movie at Sundance a couple years ago called Monsters and Men about police brutality that was, right. um, yeah. you know, a bit a bit um, square maybe, but but really beautifully made. And so he has a movie with Will Smith that I believe has a release date. Yeah, has one here um, where he called King Richard, where he, he plays me, of course, um, <laughs> just about my life podcasting and stuff. Uh, also, my life raising Venus and Serena Williams. Right, um, right, right. That's the name of your cast. So that sounds, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so that sounds like an interesting, uh, you know, big actor vehicle, as does Marcus Green's other film that might come out next year called Good Joe Bell. Uh, which is based on a true story about a homophobic father who, after his son, who is gay, is murdered, uh, he kind of goes across a trek to a, a, a trek across America trying to raise awareness for uh, gay rights, essentially. And that person is played rather improbably by Mark Wahlberg, who has an Oscar nomination, in, but but for, for for like a funny Bostony supporting role, this is something else. Um, I've heard from other podcasts that it's quite a good script and quite a good role for Wahlberg. So I, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Mark Wahlberg is an actor who has made a lot of money for a lot of people in Hollywood. And it's always worth keeping an eye on those people when they end up with a sort of Oscar bait kind of role or a role that feels a lot like them stepping out of their comfort zone a little bit, because I think that's, I think that's a, an easy formula for, Oscar success in a lot of ways. Like I think if you are, if you've, if a lot of people have, you know, warm feelings about you making money for them, I think it goes a long way. And he also seems like someone who's had the range in some ways. Like I think about um, The Departed, but also I heard Huckabee's and also uh, My Beloved Pain and Gain, um, the Michael Bay movie that right. made no money. Uh, right. But I think he's wonderful in, as is The Rock. Um, so, yeah, he has a tricky past. He was convicted of assault at some point. Um, but then, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, I don't think is quite an example. But uh, there have been uh, numerous Best Actor winners who have had tricky pasts who have managed to make it work anyway. So the right performance could definitely make it happen. I can't I can't believe you didn't mention uh, the Gambler, the one where he plays an English professor. Wait, <laughs> I did not see the Gambler. I weirdly did, and I had totally I forgotten actually, it. But yeah, I, I actually kind of love him in that movie. <laughs> um, Joanna, have you made a, a title pick yet? Not a title pick. Uh, in the Heights is going to be my best gamble. Um, oh, we haven't talked about. 
the Aaron Sorkin film yet. Right? I was going to bring oh, that yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, so, yeah totally. the, so, so the Trial of Chicago Seven, which is coming out in late September, so sort of prime spot. Um, this is TIFF you know, premiere. The, Can we bet on a TIFF premiere? Seems like it, right? One of those TIFF like, oh, the movie is opening in like a week. Should I see it now or should I? Uh, right, <laughs> like uh, excellent week? Oscar precursor, The Goldfinch. Right, exactly. Ba- based on in an election year, based on you know, right before the election, based on a true story around, um, you know, the uprising at the 1968 DNC uh, convention in Chicago, and. Um, the cast is Eddie Redmayne, Jessica Gordon-Levitt, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, who was great on Watchmen, Mark Rylance, and Jeremy Strong. So, uh, like, a really good cast. Uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin, some, I have some pre-fatigue around that, but um, but that just seems like something we can't ignore, right? Not only in an election year, but also perhaps coming on the heels of a brokered convention for the Democrats. Like, it truly, right? right? Like, which could go one of two ways with it if you know if america's feeling pretty raw after you know you know whatever happens at the democrat convention like we could just be like we do not need to linger on this anymore and sort of you know want to put it away but at the very least if even if sorkin's not great he's so watchable for me so it's definitely going to be a thing on my radar I spent some time looking at synopses trying to think about the election year and what kind of mood people were going to be in, because I think I've mentioned this, at least some of you, I feel like there's an entire book to be written in 10 years about the impact of the 2016 election on that Oscar race and how crazy everything became. Um, And then somehow I think that's all why Moonlight won, but I don't know why. Um, But the fact that Moonlight was the winner after all that, I don't think it's as easy to predict as like, what is the movie that speaks to America now? But, you know, we're all going to want to escape to a desert planet called (laughs) Dean. And mine for spice and ride sandworms with with Timothy (laughs) Timothy Chalamet and a cast of like dozens. Like that cast is insane. It's so good. Or we can all just watch In the Heights for months and months and months. We could also do that. It'll be like standing music and just play for a year. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because I'm really excited for Dune. I love the source material for Dune. But like the last time we got excited for a Denis Villeneuve uh, sci-fi movie, Blade Runner, no one else got excited with me. I loved Blade Runner 2049. (laughs) I will say that. It's just the Joes that got excited for Blade (laughs) Runner 2049. So like um, I'm worried. I don't know. Like what they've done uh, cleverly is put together a cast that is not just like great actors that we can be excited about, but actors who have like franchise recognizability. That's not a word. But anyway, like Zendaya, like Marvel stars and like you know like people that people recognize who are also tremendous actors um and so but you know like blade runner had ryan gosling and harrison ford so i don't know what to tell you but um i'm uh i'm i'm worried i i just i just want to like not get too hyped because i still remember what happened with blade runner which is a movie i liked but just was like a lot of hype for nobody going to see it in the end you know well I think the problem with Blade Runner 2049 was that it was a sequel to a movie that didn't do well in its initial run, became yeah. sort of a cult classic, but not for a ton of people. And it had been years. And people were like, what? Do I have to watch that old movie to get this movie? I think it's kind of like what happened with the recent Terminator bomb, was that people were like, when does this take place? Like, what timeline do I need to have followed, you know, right. to, to understand this new one? Whereas Dune is just a straight-up remake of a novel, you know? And it so it, it might feel fresher to people and might feel more new and exciting um then then 24 then Blade Runner which kind of had this you know unfortunate attachment to an older project that not a lot of people remembered 
That being said, Dune is like historically uh, been difficult to film in a way that people, you know, find mm. approachable. So, um, yeah. you know, it's it's existed in a number of forms, like you know, uh, failed film, film that you know, a film that never saw the light of day, a film that like nobody really went to go see, and then like various miniseries that were on the Sci-Fi Channel. So like it's just it, Dune has been like a really a really tricksy property. So I, I hope it I hope it all comes together smashingly. And that's Warner Brothers as well, right? So, like, um, yeah, let's they'll make have it- Dune and Tenet. That's wild. And in yeah. the Heights. Come on. <laughs> Warner, Brothers <laughs> has like a, Warner Brothers has, like, a low-key amazing slate for this year. Yeah. Like, it's truly... Yeah, yeah. If I could, if I could pick one, you know, studio and just watch their movies for the year, they would probably be it. Well, what? it makes me think that we should keep an eye on Universal since they had Green Book mm. in 1917 back to back. They do have a Paul Greengrass, Tom Hanks movie slated for Christmas. That's they do. A Western about a, a man bringing the news to peep townspeople. Um, I don't know. Westerns are an interesting uh, prospect with Oscar. I'm psyched for Hank this year. Hanks this year. I know I, I, I you know, predict, predicted him last year as well, but he's got. That I think you know, Greengrass is I think is a very exciting director, and Tom Hanks in a western is not a thing I've ever really thought I th- I've never really thought of as a natural fit, and yet sometimes that's what makes something interesting. Has so, he ever made? He's never made one, has he? I can't think of him as ever being dusty. Like even uh, like he's Woody guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. There was a snake in his boot during that entire and movie. I, I think technically Polar Express is a western. I mean, there's a <laughs> Um, there's another Western coming from a sort the sort of current bard of the, the genre, Taylor Sheridan. Well, he does like modern Westerns. You know, he did Hell or High Water, which got a ton of Oscar nominations. Kind of, Well, not a ton, but some big ones, um, somewhat surprisingly. Um, but he has a new one with Angelina Jolie with Warner Brothers coming out um, called Those Who Wish Me Dead. Um, it's her and Nicholas Holt and Tyler Perry. Um, so, yeah, that, I don't know. That, I mean, that, that might be threesome. This, you know, you can't picture yeah. one without the other right. two. Angelina Jolie is another unlikely Western star. It's sort of, you know, tough to picture her in that setting, too, which, again, interesting. And Hanks, she's also well, and got... she's going to be in a... Mar- yeah. yeah, exactly. She's got that and Eternals yeah. right now slated to come out, like, a couple weeks apart, which, who knows, that might change. Maybe she can make some funny speeches about being single this coming year. Maybe that'll be fun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, was just thinking about that, like, though, I, I just watched Mr. and Mrs. Smith yesterday, and it was a, tr- a delightful experience. Everyone yeah, should go do it. It's fun. Um, but uh, I was just thinking about like oh is part of Brad's Oscar campaign like I need she has an Oscar I need an Oscar I don't know I just thought of that uh, I had, there was a lot of unspoken Angelina during his entire <laughs> awards push I will say that it's interesting that she's acting again though like if yes. she's going to be returning like her coming on the heels of this Brad Pitt season I mean she's got a lot to navigate there but it sounds like she wants to get back into acting and not just like focus on directing like well-intentioned movies that nobody sees yeah. This is Maleficent 2 erasure. Oh my god, you're right. Oscar nominated Maleficent 2. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, one last Hanks thing before I move on. As I mentioned, Katie, uh, in that article you kindly let me write for your wonderful website, um, Hanks is playing a scientist who creates a robot, Caleb Landry Jones, in a movie called Bios. And I'm just <laughs> saying, I'm excited. I'm out. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> mm. What do we think of Ana de Armas in um, Blonde? Well, we have to support that. She's our cover girl. Vanity Fair cover um, star on Armas. Yeah, she's, you know, playing Marilyn Monroe, doing a lot of voice work, uh, like a, trying to get the um, the thing right. Uh, you know, M- Michelle Williams has already done this and got nominated for it, but, like, 
I don't know, maybe people are just so, you know, mad for the kind of died too soon, mid-century, you know, queens of showbiz after Judy that they're like, give us another one, you know, it's, <laughs> we'll it's, give her an Oscar, you know. It's tough to sort of make the prediction that like, oh, they'll go for exactly what they went for this year. But um, Marilyn Monroe does seem to be like one of those figures that people in Hollywood just sort of like can't get enough of sort of rehashing and rehashing her life and her and her death and yeah. her legend and all that sort of stuff. So, and Ana de Armas after Knives Out, I think is so poised. She's also going to be in. She's in the Bond movie, yes. Uh huh. Like this feels like very like breakout potential. And this she's year. in um, the Adrian Lyne movie with yes. Ben Affleck and Tracy Letts and Finn Wittrock. Adrian Lyne's a- back making sex thrillers. I'm so excited. <laughs> what was what's the last what was the last big movie he had? Oh, it's been a while. I had this uh, Polar Express. Yeah. <laughs> Classic sex thriller, uh, The Poet po- <laughs> Express. Was it Unfaithful? I don't think he's made a movie since Unfaithful. I'm pretty oh my God. sure. That yes. Is... 2002's yeah, Unfaithful. Wild. Yes. Which got an Oscar nomination for Diane Lane. Just, you know, just saying. So now also, he's, he's got like a Terrence Malick thing going where he's just. Yeah. He directed Fatal Attraction, of course, which, you know, got Glenn Close an Oscar nomination. And yeah, he's sort of the master of that kind of genre. Also, Indecent Proposal, which didn't get any Oscar nominations, shockingly. But, you know. Um, I made another meta list um, of female directors because, as I was mentioning with Little Women, like, we didn't really talk about that as a topic. But I do think this year the attention is going to be incredibly high on female directors and trying to get someone in there. Um, So just going through the list from what we have, uh, Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman from Sundance. We talked about that. Uh, Chloe Zhao has two movies. She has uh, Nomadland with Frances McDormand um, with Fox Searchlight and then also Eternals. the movie that I'm maybe most excited to see on this entire list is Clea Duvall's Happy Season. I was going to say, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mo- I don't like, it seems silly to count on this as an Oscar thing because it's know. a romantic comedy, but it's Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis as like, uh, I think Kristen Stewart wants to propose to Mackenzie Davis and they go home for the holidays and then she realizes that um, her girlfriend is not out to her family. What a great premise. I'm would... so excited for this movie. I'm so glad you had that on your list. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple other uh, directors, Mia Hansen Love has a movie that b- looks like it's in English, which would be great for her to, you know, kind of crossover. Uh, Julia Hart, we mentioned. Sophia Coppola, we mentioned. Lisa Joy, who's one of the creators of Westworld, has a sci-fi movie from Warner Brothers. They are really killing it. Uh, Lila Neugebauer, who we talked about. And then Gene and Prince Bri- uh, Price Bythewood has a... Um, movie on Netflix. So no like huge, huge heavy hitters. But then again, I think with female directors, no one seems like a huge heavy hitter until they have a hit. Right. So, I mean, I'm I am worried that once again, it's going to be a super male Oscar year. But I also think there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about yet. There, there is some one one kind of lurking from Sundance, which is um, worth the Sarah Colangelo film, um, which I thought was really great and seemed very Oscar-y. It weirdly did not get a t- like. It's, I think it's still maybe Rotten and Rotten Tomatoes. It doesn't have distribution yet, which I think is wild because it's you know a ni- movie about nine eleven and it's got great performances from Michael Keaton and Stanley Tucci. It's directed by a woman, um, and I don't know. I think that if that gets the right distribu- distributor, that will be a big contender potentially. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of in the wind right now. Also, I'll be writing in Kelly Reichert for First Cow in all of my awards ballots this year. Yeah, no I didn't put her on there just because she's never really had no. an oscar movie, but and it doesn't sound like First Cow <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, First Cow but... doesn't seem to be the one to break through, and yet no, I'm so excited to see Kelly it. but I love Kelly Reichert, so yeah. props for that. Okay, um, speaking of uh, stars that we love, Richard, you had something else you wanted to talk about. Well, you know, I think that, you know, with with the uh, Amy Adams and Glenn Close thing, you have Michael Keaton coming back with a movie, like, potentially, like, I think, you know, we had th- this past year, like, 
winners who hadn't won in a long time or who had never won finally getting their award. Also in that kind of category would be Saoirse Ronan, who's been nominated four times at the age of like 25 or something. Didn't get it for Little Women, um, but has this movie called Ammonite with Kate Winslet, who uh, has not won in about 12 years, directed by Francis Lee, who did uh, God's Own Country, a kind of cherished new cult film among uh, the gay world. Uh, but, and, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's just a very well-made movie. And this is a this new one is a period piece about two women who fall in love in the 1840s. So I don't know. That seems Oscar-y to me. Maybe Oscar-y from a different era, but you know, you can't count Saoirse or Winslet out for sure. Also, ready-made for big Oscar dorks like me, who it's just like because Saoirse Ronan with her four nominations, all the records she's breaking for like youngest actress to get to X number of nominations, they're all Winslet's records. Like it's it's amazing that like mm. Saoirse's the new you know in that respect at least Saoirse's the new Winslet. So to see them together is you know it's a ready-made narrative and i like that uh, i wanted to run down a couple other directors who are kind of uh, big deals that we should look out for paul schrader's got a movie with oscar isaac allegedly coming this year and you know he's been around forever and had a that's second reformed uh yes exactly it's uh it's about the uh, <laughs> the coming of jesus um yeah i mean first reformed was such a huge thing that it feels like you have to keep an eye on that um taika waititi has another movie with fox searchlight i would I'm not totally sure about that coming out this year unless he's already filmed it and I didn't know about it. I was thinking about that, too. It's a soccer movie, which is Yeah, with Michael Fassbender and Elizabeth Moss, so sign me up. Um, Happy to watch that. Uh, Steven Soderbergh has a movie with Meryl Streep, Diane Weiss, and Candace Bergen. Holy crap. (laughs) And it's literally, the description of it is so funny. Wait, I want to find it because... um, Oh, I have it. It's a celebrated author on holiday with her old friends. Isn't that just Mamma Mia? Isn't this <laughs> everything I want out of a movie with Meryl Streep? Like, oh, my God. I'm really, uh, yeah. Uh, Charlie Kaufman has a movie with uh, Jesse Buckley, who we loved in Wild Rose, and Jesse Plemons, among others, and Tony Collette, um, which will be on Netflix. Uh, we mentioned briefly Spike Lee's got a movie that is also on Netflix. Joe, did you talk about Breaking News in Yuba County yet? Breaking News in Yuba County is, of course, the new movie from Tate Taylor, who directed Oscar Best Picture nominee The Help, but also, you know, has directed Ma with Octavia Spencer, which <laughs> Ma is the better movie of the two, but like it's also was never going to be an Oscar contender. So I wonder if like, you know, Breaking News in Yuba County also sort of falls along that line. But Allison Janney plays a woman whose unfaithful husband dies of a heart attack and she sort of starts digging around about the truth about that and she becomes this like weird like little local celebrity and the weirdest thing about this movie is her half sister is played by Mila Kunis which like just seems odd enough for me to be excited about the cast is kind of like awesome runs really deep Juliette Lewis Ellen Barkin Regina Hall Samira Wiley Clifton Collins Jr. Wanda Sykes is in this movie. Bridget Everett's in this movie. Like Kate it's... Taylor has a thing with casts like he yes. manages to get people well, you Allison Janney's been in like every movie he's ever made. Yeah. Like it's um yeah, been he's been friends for like ever. Yes. Um Octavia Spencer this is like the rare movie that Octavia Spencer is not in uh, of his. But um Aquafine is also going to be in this movie. It's as as a cast alone and especially as a cast of women alone, it's already like my tickets already been purchased. Yeah. Um I don't know if it's if it's Oscar bound, but like we don't, you know, not everything has to be. The Run for Revogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowicz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Sheila, being in this beautiful pink room. 
All right, Asha, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. (laughs) On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K, Anna Winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I had three more movies I wanted to mention just on directors alone. Edgar mm-hmm. Wright has a new movie coming in the fall with Anya Taylor-Joy and based on how Baby Driver did. I think uh, it's worth earmarking that. Uh, Robert Zemeckis is making The Witches um, yeah. with Anne Hathaway, our girl. Um I don't like. I don't know how Oscary that is automatically. And Robert Zemeckis, God knows, has had many right. up and down. Joe, I know you did a podcast episode on Welcome to Marwin recently, so oh, I'm, boy. Sorry for bring, I'm sorry for bringing him up. Uh, <laughs> I know those scars are fresh. Yeah, truthfully. Yeah. Um, and the last one is Ridley Scott, who's got The Last Duel, which is already controversial because <sighs> Joanna, do you remember why it's controversial? I know it's something about like a duel over a rape. Yeah, it's, and it's about the uh, men. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's it's about the two men, like one avenging the rape of his wife or something like that. So, Great, yeah, Great. and it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck who are sort of yeah. you know out of favor at this point. But then again, Ridley Scott got an Oscar nomination for Christopher Plummer for a movie he was not originally in. That's so I true. feel like we can't ever <laughs> don't underestimate. <laughs> um, yeah, my my uh, cold take is that Matt Damon should invest a couple years in being like in supporting roles because he's so great in those. And I think he like people are a little burned out for whatever reason um, on him in in leading roles. And it's just sort of like he's he's great in supporting roles. This uh, comment brought to you by me watching the entire Ocean's Eleven trilogy and he's supporting at the beginning and lead by the end. And it's not a good transition. So is that his fault? Can I um, (laughs) can I throw out a crazy theory that probably won't actually happen, but 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 let's fun to think about. So in 1980-something, six, I want to say, uh, Joe, you can correct me, um, Sigourney Weaver was nominated for the sequel to a horror movie for Alien. Yeah, that was 86. She had not been nominated for Alien. Now, Jamie Lee Curtis, hot off of Knives Out and a huge success hit Halloween reboot, has a Halloween sequel coming out. And if that movie does really well, a horror movie sequel... Well, she's kind of like, she's really back in a big way. Is there any way that Laurie Strode, a.k.a. Jamie Lee Curtis, could get nominated for an acting prize this year? Like the way that uh, Sylvester Stallone got nominated for Creed? Sure, sure. Well, I feel like if she was going to get that, why wouldn't she get it for the last one? Because it was like, made so much money. but it came out of nowhere, and I think people were like not really expecting it. And then we have Knives Out kind of solidifying her return. And I'm just wondering, like, if Alien made Sigourney Weaver a star, but then she got the acting nomination for Aliens. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. It's, I like, it, this like theory. It could be kind of a fun thing. To, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in favor. Has that's, Jamie Lee like Curtis it. ever been nominated? No, that's the thing. At some point, we're all going to realize that Jamie Lee Curtis has never been nominated for an Oscar, and we're going to want to fix that. I feel like. I would love it if Knives Out like builds this entire momentum for everyone in that cast oh, to eventually yes. get their Oscar nomination. Because I mean, I'm not sure that anyone in any of the major players in that cast had nominations. Well, I guess Michael Tony Shannon, Tony Collette, and Michael Shannon. But anyway, like get get Don Johnson, get Ana de Armas, get Chris Evans, get Lakeith Stanfield. Just go yep. through the list. Totally. The, you know the ni- the Knives Out bump. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard, I, I was curious what your thoughts are on the Oscar prospects of the humans. 
I don't know much about the movie itself, um, but, uh, you know, I've seen the play. It's directed um, think, by the writer of the play, which is an interesting right, gamble. Yeah. Yes, it is an interesting gamble. Um, and the cast is interesting in that, like, Beanie Feldstein, Amy Schumer, June Squibb, like, I kind of think them as more comedy people. And there is comedy in the film, but it's not, or in the play, rather, but it's not, it's by no means a funny thing. I mean, Stephen Young's presence is interesting. Richard Jenkins, Jane Howdyshell re- reprising her excellent uh you know, a yeah. turn in the uh, in the play. So I don't know. That that's definitely could be intriguing. I, I guess my guess is that's going to be a fall festival kind of movie. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Well, I feel like August Osage County is our warning on something like this, but The Humans is a really different play. Like it's a much tighter, um, not as like operatic thing. And that cast, I think, it doesn't seem like they went for the biggest names they could get. They like cast a little yeah. precisely there. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a, it, 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 you know what it could also do if if, if it's good enough it could solidify Stephen Young's chances for Minari, which is the movie that won the jury prize at Sundance and is incredible. And Stephen Young is amazing as this, um, you know, Korean immigrant father trying to make a better life for his family in rural oh, Arkansas. Yeah. So, like, maybe he could have, like, a very good year with th- that kind of t- dual thing, like, where I kind of think that Ad Astra being just good enough got Brad helped Brad Pitt get the Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I just want to make sure I get my voice on this Yun sound clip if it uh, happens to come up next year. I want to agree agree with Richard. the the uh, the Yun momentum is here for Yun momentum. Yun momentum. Yeah, we can we'll work on that. that. We'll work on. We'll it. work on it. <laughs> what do we think of the idea of Jessica Chastain playing Tammy Faye Baker? In- oh my God! I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. Um, I. I'm intrigued. I she's a South Carolina icon. I'm from South Carolina. Uh, it's directed by Michael Showalter, which I do not know what to make of because I like the Big Sick Fine. I didn't think that his direction was like a huge part of that. His directing career has been kind of up and down. Well, and um, he's also got the Kumail Nanjiani Issa Rae comedy right, coming out right, this right. spring. Love Lovebirds, yeah, right, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm Jessica Chastain has this and I think an action movie on the docket this year. So it feels like she's been quiet or at least not as visible as she had been. So I'm excited for her to kind of have a big year, too. I just I feel like it has such a potential where even if it's not like it could be at at worst campy and fun. You know what I mean? Just like I feel yeah. like if when Jessica Jessica Chastain, who I think is always great, but some in the movies where some people think she's bad, like something like Miss Sloan. It's also great. <laughs> like, it's also <laughs> really watchable and really fun. And, I mean, The Eyes of, I also, the eyes of Tammy Faye is just so, such a, like, fascinating documentary to adapt into a narrative movie. And Tammy Faye Baker is such an interesting figure of, like, you know, she's sort of extreme. and But she's also, you know, there's a lot of, you know, pathos there and likability. And yet also, like, the kind of religious movement she represented. And there's a lot of angles to that. I also feel like... Show Walter has actually kind of quietly been simmering with his actresses. Like Sally Field and Hello, My Name is Doris, yes. like kind of got awards buzz that year. Holly Hunter obviously got awards buzz for The Big Sick. And like now maybe Chastain is like the third charm that makes it actually right. happen because she's playing a real life person and the Academy loves that. So I don't know. I don't, I think the Show Walter in this does give me pause too, Katie, but like um, maybe it's also there's a, there's a, a positive spin to be put on that. Also, Cherry Jones's fourth build in that movie just wanted to yeah. say that. Yeah. Well, Andrew Garfield playing Jim Baker, I feel yep. like we should mention yep, yep, yep. that he's somebody that we are eternally rooting for. Yep. 
Okay, guys, we're at the end. Let's uh, put our money on the line and predict what will win Best Picture and at best get a makeup winner or an eighth or ninth place Best Picture nominee. Because <laughs> uh, that is, I mean, so last year, I mean, Joe picked Irishman and Richard picked Little Women. So you guys actually did pretty well. Um, so who wants to go first? I Nobody. can go first. Um, <laughs> go first, Joe. Go. Um, so I know I went with Netflix last year with The Irishman as my sort of safe pick, and that did deliver. I think the pecking order of the Netflix movies last year was a lot easier to suss out, at least at the top. I think we all knew that Scorsese's movie was going to be their top priority just because of everything that had been going on in the in the um, production of that movie. I think Scorsese kind of, you know, had Netflix by the balls a little bit, and good for him. He managed to, you know, get the release that he wanted. I think this year, if David Fincher's Mank can be one of the top two priorities for Netflix, I think it could be a really, really interesting prospect. It's a movie about the screenwriter, Herman, uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, um, during the development of Citizen Kane. And if we talk about like Hollywood liking to honor movies about itself, like there's no bigger pat on the bat than, you know, you made Citizen Kane. Like you are the industry that created Citizen Kane. And so Gary Oldman plays Herman Mankiewicz. He's a few years removed from an Oscar win, which was like not the most like rah-rah celebrated Oscar win, let's say, of of all time. And yet he clearly seems to be an actor who's in the sweet spot with Oscar voters right now. Um, Amanda Seyfried's in this movie playing Marion Davies, Tuppence Middleton, um, Charles Dance. The cast is, you know, pretty interesting. And it's, you know, Fincher's back. And if Fincher can come back in a big way in a movie that is – you know, very much in Oscar voters' wheelhouse like this, I think it could be a very formidable, formidable film. So you think that Netflix is going to win Best Picture eventually? They just have to find yes. the right one to get Yeah, it. yeah, I think so. I think The Irishman, I think looking back in retrospect, I think the, you know, the flaws of The Irishman, at least when it comes to being an Oscar winner, are pretty apparent in that it was long, it was slow, it's very sort of like East Coast in a way that like we always forget how West Coast insular the Oscars can be when... I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, you know, 10 nominations and no wins for the Irishman sort of like makes a lot of sense to me. And I think something that feels a little more Hollywood could definitely be, you know, a, more of a mover for Netflix. Uh, Richard, I'll make you go next. Okay, so kind of along Dave, uh, Joe's lines about um, a beloved director finally having their, their moment at the Oscars. Uh, it's been six years since Wes Anderson got a bunch of Oscar nominations for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, his new one, The French Dispatch, is star-studded. I think it's more than likely going to premiere at Cannes. Yes, it comes out in the summer, which means it has a long runway, but, so, but, but Grand Budapest came out even earlier. That came out in March. And I don't know, I just think that this could be the year to see a bunch of journalists working abroad, making everyone feel good. I don't think the Academy has gotten tired of Wes Anderson as evidenced by Grand Budapest's success. Um, so that's what I'm calling it for. I think the, I think, I think this is going to be Wes Anderson's year. I definitely thought about that. It, it, it feels as quirky and like out there as so many Wes Anderson movies, but Grand Budapest had that kind of um, that sorrow at the center of it that I think is what made it really mm-hmm. work for Oscars. And French Dispatch seems to have a lot of potential for that, too. And Timothy Chalamet's incredible hair cannot be underestimated. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. Uh, Correct. On uh, that East Coast, on that East Coast, West Coast divide, though, like, I wonder if it's too New Yorker-y for California. We'll see. Mm. I, I'm excited for it, but I'm just 
going to say that. If it ends um, up employing half of the state, then it uh, then maybe that's it, where it hits the tipping point. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, I will plant my flag, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I feel I, I kind of agree with Mike that I feel like as beautifully complete as this spreadsheet feels from Joe, I feel like I just don't. I don't know. It feels like we're missing something. But anyway, um, I'll I'll go ahead with the Sorkin, the trial of Chicago 7. Uh, it all is going to depend, like, how our own political uh, narrative goes this year. But maybe it'll be something we need or want. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm nervous about how we're all going to feel at the end of this year, uh, regardless. But, yeah, that's what I will. I'll do the Sorkin. I went I thought about Netflix and making my choice and kind of went on the assumption that they won't win Best Picture this year just because it feels like it's this endless uphill battle for them and maybe they have too many movies to focus we really can't know yet uh, so in looking for my non-Netflix options it was tough man I mean most of the like the big <laughs> deal obvious, obvious winners on here are Netflix movies um, so I landed on Those Who Wish Me Dead the Taylor Sheridan Western um, I feel like Angelina Jolie could have a good moment I feel like a Western has been a really popular Oscar genre in the past I mean Hell or High Water got a Best Picture nominee as this kind of surprise summer hit. It's coming from Warner Brothers. They've got a good year. They're going to have their hands full. But I think studio movies have really been succeeding lately in this era of streaming as people kind of like want to hang on to the to the studios that built the town. And as Disney snaps up everything, Warner Brothers is still man managing to stand successful on its own. Um, I don't know. I Mike might be the rightest of all of us, but that felt like a fun one to dive in on. Katie, are you willing to go all in on Tyler Perry as a supporting actor contender for that movie? <laughs> I mean, at the rate that he works and with the like yeah. kind of uh, like curveballs he keeps throwing, it could totally happen it someday. It could totally happen, yes. Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll... He's so good in Gone Girl. Yep. He's very so good um, in Gone Girl. <laughs> but I, I think the interesting thing also about the studio thing, Katie, I think you're right that the studios are in well positioned right now. And with, you know, um, my pick, The French Dispatch, uh, that's with the newly dubbed Searchlight, formerly Fox Searchlight. And I'll just be very curious to hear how what was always the awards wing of 20th Century Fox and is now maybe the award the awards one of the wings of Disney, um, how they, that company within a company handles an awards campaign um, under the aegis of, of Disney. Yeah, we also didn't talk about really Disney or Marvel stuff at all. And last year, I think we were fresh off of Black Panther and kind of wondering what could happen. I mean, all of the Marvel stuff this year is a little bit more out there and original. You know, I've got Eternals coming in the fall. So I am curious if Marvel becomes a factor again or if it's more proof that Black Panther was a total fluke. Okay. Well, I guess that does it, Joe. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us. It, I really feel like I'm measuring my life in these episodes. Like, going I know. back and listening to the previous years, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's something I look forward to every year. Oh, thank you. I, I love I love being on this episode. It's it's so much fun. Before we let you go, Joe, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you, you host the, the podcast, uh, This Had Oscar Buzz, yes. about movies that once seemed like shimmering awards potential <laughs> and then right. that shimmer went away. Um, what do you think was the most This Had Oscar Buzziest movie of 2019? Of 2019? Um, gosh. I mean, something like... I mean, my joking answer is The Aeronauts because The Aeronauts is so funny that that had, like, an <laughs> oh, Oscar buzz man. to begin with. Um... What ended up with like nothing? I mean, you talk about something like something like Hustlers or Uncut Gems or The Farewell. It feels like unfair to sort of, you know, slap them around because they yeah. didn't really. I mean, they Cats these... is like the most obvious target on this. Cats right? is the most Ooh. anticipated episode for our coming year. I mean, that's that's all our listeners want us to do is to talk about cats. <laughs> what, like that you're the animal? 
Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. There was a there was a oh, there weird. was a film, Richard. You, I got to tell you about oh. it once we're off. Once we're off uh, air, I'll tell you all oh. about it. It's the craziest. It sounds thing. great. I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> yes. We also devoted. I mean, just on last year's episode, we devoted a decent amount of time to the Goldfinch and Motherless Brooklyn. The Goldfinch is actually classic. the answer. Goldfinch. Yeah. Goldfinch. Goldfinch is classic. This had Oscar buzz. That's the real answer for sure. Katie Rich yep. and I. Katie Rich and I read an entire book. <laughs> And Richard famously will never finish the Goldfinch. Right. He never has to. <laughs> nope. It's been finished for me. There you go. Um, I feel like we could get really mean and make bets on any of the movies we've talked about now that are destined to be this at Oscar buzzes, oh, but man. I don't know. That also that feels as foolish as trying to predict Best Picture. Our odds are a lot yes. better there, I feel like, than, <laughs> well, than the true. other I mean, way more, around. More fail than succeed, which yeah, I guess is what absolutely. makes the Oscars so special. Uh, anyway, Joe, plug this at Oscar buzz as we, uh, as we wrap this up. Yeah, uh, it's me and my co-host Chris File. Every week, we, uh, as Richard very kindly mentioned, um, talk about a different movie that had Oscar potential, had Oscar hopes and dreams, and it all came crashing down. And you know, the failure of that is is fascinating to us. Our most recent episode was on the film Stranger Than Fiction. If you remember the Will Ferrell movie Stranger Than Fiction, we've got one coming up. Yeah, I think I can. I, we haven't mentioned it on the Twitter feed yet, but our next one is Captain Corelli's Mandolin, which we recorded. Exclusive. I love it. Yeah, which we recorded last weekend. And that is like, I mean, you talk about classic. Like the film that I use to define what this concept of this podcast is kind of is <laughs> Captain Corelli's Mandolin, where it was just like, oh, the director of Shakespeare in Love and Oscar winner Nicolas Cage and crossover star Penelope Cruz. How can it miss? And oh, it did so, so How many. Um- how many Bella Gratza three o'clock jokes do you make? I say it 17 times. It's the first <laughs> thing I say in the podcast, and it's just, it's so many. It's, it's yeah, it's obnoxious. Uh-huh. If you uh, listen to our Finding Forrester episode, I have to apologize for all the times I attempted a Sean Connery accent. It was unavoidable. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, come I also did a uh, semi-recent episode on Pan uh, from my beloved Joe Wright, which was very yes. fun. So if you wanted to start with a crossover episode, and Richard, you've been on too, haven't you? Yeah, Richard was on talking about yes, evening. Yes, I did evening. All right, mm-hmm. Joanna, get on this well, one. I know, Joanna, well, let's talk. Well. Joanna was kind enough to have me on, on her Lost podcast, so yes, let's That's definitely true. talk. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you want she, Joanna on that podcast show. She's got uh, she's got some deep cuts to bring, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk for sure. Uh, and then, Joe, anywhere else that people can find you online? Um, I'm on. I'm managing editor at uh, primetimer.com, where we talk about television and, you know, freelancing all over the place, including the wonderful Vanity Fair. Uh, well, for the rest of us, you can find us at VanityFair.com uh, and on Twitter at Little Gold Men, where we love hearing from you. Uh, and also, oh my God, thank you for telling us all the all of you who won your Oscar pools because of us. That was so thrilling. I know that was Mike's <laughs> like a special pet project, um, and we're very proud. I can't believe how badly I lost my Oscar pool when you guys were also successful. So. I really got to learn some. How badly there. I lost my Oscar pool while still getting Parasite right wow, for Best Picture. Wow, Joe, that does take special. But <laughs> I predicted 1917 to sweep the techs in a way that it really did not. Like Ford versus Ferrari really kind of killed me, <laughs> which I probably deserve for all the you know crapping on Ford versus Ferrari that I, I did. Think had so, its revenge in the end. Yeah, truthfully. Um, and you can find us on our own on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich and Joanna, Joe Rothis, and Richard Rylaws. And Mike is at Mike underscore Hogan. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. And this week's uh, award for the best advice for all things going into 2020 goes to Joe Reed. Sometimes being right and being happy are too much to ask for.
I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.